to be honest with you guys, I struggled on where we were going to go next after we finished Philippians. I knew we were going to stay with Paul's letters. Lord had made that clear. And I started going back and said, maybe we should uh, go back to some of the earlier letters that Paul wrote and, and get back in line with, with order. And, and then I started reading, you know, timeline order. And, and we would say that Paul wrote three or four letters while he's on either what some believe to be an actual prison in Rome or most likely a house arrest type setup in Rome, um, both of which would have been guarded, both of which, by the way, funny enough, with Crystal going to law school and hearing about how stuff's structured for, for those that we have incarcerated, uh, in Rome, they didn't believe, by the way, uh, in feeding their prisoners. You know what I'm saying? They, they felt the need that if, if hey, this is, this is where you put yourself, your family and friends can take care of you, and we're not responsible to take care of you. So it enlightens a lot of what Paul writes when he says, man, I, I'm not allowed to leave my house. You know, if, if, it, if it was the, the house arrest time, which we, we believe probably most likely. Um, so when he writes and says, you guys are meeting my needs, these guys were literally meeting his needs because nobody else was going to. Um, you know, but, but anyway, I started reading and, and, and in this same, so this is 61 AD. Uh, he wrote Colossians, he wrote Philippians, he wrote Ephesians, which we just finished. And, and, and just in reading them and kind of flipping about, I told, told the guys at the shop, I think it was Thursday. I was reading. I'm a little bit ahead of our men's study in Matthew, uh, which is, is nothing wrong with it. I think good, but, but I, I've just been blown away the last couple of weeks on how Jesus handled stuff. You know, they tried to trap Jesus and he would, you know what? No, no long debate. It wasn't no, no argument. It was just, just as smooth as he could be, man, you know, with, with stuff, you know, it was like, well, well, we pay taxes. What are we doing? He, he's just smooth. He's like, look at the coin. Whose face is on the coin? I'm going to give it to him. And just give the Lord what is the Lord's, you know, and, and then later on, they tried to trap him. His own his own religious groups was trying to trap him like, well, you know, there's this rule where like if, if this guy's married, and he's got a brother and his brother, you know, uh, he dies and his brother's got to marry him. And he says, what if this happens seven times? So that brother dies and marries her and that brother dies and the next brother marries her. And he goes on and goes. So all seven of them done married this same lady he goes when they get to heaven. You know, whose whose wife is she? And Jesus just shakes his head like you guys just don't get it. You know what I'm saying? Like, you, you just, you just missing it, man. But he, he was just so smooth in how he handled things. So I, I started thinking even deeper. And one of the things that came to mind was this. So this is what led us to make sure we, we stayed with, with Philippians because of a principle Jesus had. Jesus had so many sorrows and so many griefs. I mean, he did not live. When you think of, of God coming to earth, it wasn't like the life that you and I would think of if we were to write a story about a God coming to earth and, you know, sitting up on his throne and everything being great, people bowing down and serving him and, and it being great. He served. He washed feet. You know, say so he he on the road to Calvary through the greatest sorrow and grief you could probably think. He stops and here's what he tells his disciples. Here's what he tells his disciples on the road to Calvary, literally like the, 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 the weeks before his death. He says, these things I've spoken to you that you may have joy and that joy may remain in you. And that your joy might be full. Then he says, I'm telling you these things because I want you to have joy. And not just any kind of joy. I want you to have my joy. And I think that's the biggest determining factor for a lot of us that separates everything. Because you and I have this definition, this idea of joy. But we might not have the idea of his joy. We think it's all based off of how much we're getting and, and how much we've earned and, and what we've rewarded and how good life is for us. And, Jesus is saying this on the road to the cross to pay for not his mistakes, but our mistakes. 
And he goes through and he tells these guys this thing. And it reminds me of, of probably one of my, my favorite verses when you really grab a hold of it. But you go back to John 10, 10. And he says this. He reminds them. He says, you know, the thief's coming to steal and kill and destroy. But I've come that you may have life and have it what? In abundance. So what he's saying is, I want you to have life and I want you to enjoy life. So what brings this up is this. And I, and I think about Paul and I think about us. So I got to ask, like, how many of you guys are enjoying life? I mean, really, even with as many hands that went up and, and, and a couple of them were quicker and a couple of them was, was kind of slower. Should that not be a question that is asked in the house of God with the people of God and hands just instantly maybe even get up out of your seat? I know that scares some of you Baptist people and you're like, oh, my God, we have to move. It's OK to move. I promise you. Right. Get some Baptocostal in you. You know, it, it'll be a OK. Oh, somebody asked me this week, said, are you sure you're Baptist? I said, yes, I'm a charismatic Baptist. Um, and I'm okay with that title. All right. So, but, but think about this. Like we, we need to get some of this joy that he's talking about. Right. So, so he says this, that, and my fear is this, that we're not enjoying life because our expectations are wrong. Because we don't have his joy. What he's saying is this, that, and I'm not saying like, you're not going to have any problems. I'm not saying you're always going to have money or anything like that. What Jesus is saying, he says, I want you guys to have my joy. Meaning this, that when things aren't going right in your life, when you're sitting on house arrest, when you might be chained to this big old hairy Roman soldier, you know, guy, when when nobody's feeding you except for your friends or family that may or may not be bringing you this stuff. This is when I want you to be able to experience true inner joy. So this book of Philippians, while we're here, he writes this thing, you know, and, and think about how different the letters are that he wrote in the same 61 A.D. period of time while he's on house arrest. One of them, he writes back to the Ephesians. We just did. So I pray that you at least know. The, the, the just that and he writes back and says, I need to remind you guys of who you are, who you are in Christ, like what what has allowed you to become children of, of the kingdom. And, and he goes through that. And then he, he gets some application at the end with our relationships and, and that kind of stuff. And the very next thing, after all these relationships and this hands on stuff, he starts writing a letter to the Philippians. He's like, I need to I need to write my guys in Philippians. So in this letter, he, he mentions joy 19 times. 19 times he uses the word joy. And, and, and it's not a matter of circumstances because what? He's in prison. Or maybe it is a matter of circumstances. You know, I, I wrote last night and, and I've been telling a couple people like, this is, this is one of the few letters Paul writes where it's not like getting on anybody. You read a lot of Paul's letter and like he got some crap to deal with in the church. So like he, he, he's, he's getting kind of harsh on them. When he, when he writes these Philippians, man, it's a whole letter of encouragement. The whole thing is like, you guys have done awesome but I want you to keep it up. You know what I'm saying? Like he's almost like scared because he's writing these other letters to the other churches and he's like, man, they've missed it. They fell and they, they stumbled. They, they, they're not doing this right. So he thinks about the Philippians. He's like, these guys got it and I want them to keep it. I want them to stay the course. And what I mean by this is because we're quick on saying, well, you know, true joy doesn't come from, from your circumstances. And we hear that all the time. You know what I'm saying? Like, like that, you know, how you are. My circumstance, according to Ephesians that we just spent, I don't know how many weeks on, is that I'm in Christ. Is that I've been bought and paid for. Is that I am his. It's that, it's that he's taking care of everything and it ain't what I'm doing, it's what he's doing in me through me. You know what I'm saying? So like my circumstance should be joyful. Am I right? So, so when somebody tells you, oh, you know, as a believer, you shouldn't have joy based off your circumstance. I understand what they mean about a worldly circumstance, but we need to be quick to tell them, you know, my joy is off my circumstance because my circumstances, I'm in Christ. Do you understand the difference? 
Because if we don't get that mindset, we're going to think Paul's just a psycho as he writes some of this stuff. So we've got to get where where he's at. So he writes this thing. He's in prison. He mentions his joy 19 times. 16 times he mentions the mind. Joy 19 times. The mind 16 times. So is it safe to say what and how you think might be kind of important? Right? What and how you think might determine whether you even have true joy. Right? So as, as he writes this thing again, like this is just taking what, he, what he's done, and he goes through your thoughts and your mind, what you choose to think about, sometimes is a direct representation of why you either do or don't have joy. It's why some of your hands could shoot up real quick when I said it. It's why some of you were like, yeah, uh, yeah. I'm going to be honest. If, I, if, I, if I'm a non-believer and I'm asking a bunch of believers like, is, are you enjoying your life? And you, uh, I guess it's better than the alternative. I'm not going to want to join you. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I could go more, have more fun outside and just get in trouble. Right? Like, I, I want to talk to the guy whose hand shot up. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I want to talk to the one who's just thinking about some power working, you know, inside of their lives. I, I want to talk to the one that even when everything I had planned was going wrong, Jesus took care of it. You know what I'm saying? Like, that, that, that's who I want to. I want to communicate with and I want to get. So you can either think yourself into being joyful or you can really think yourself into being miserable. Some of you, when I asked the question, you were thinking of all the problems you had this week. Poor, poor, pitiful you. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, it's just so, so terrible. But are, are you in Christ? Because if you're in Christ, even a bad week's a great week. Right? Because this isn't my final destination. This isn't, you know, my, my thing. Me, me and the boys this morning were, were listening to, to part of, and I'm not an Eagles fan, so I hate to even use him as an example. But like we were listening back to, to when, when Nick Foles won MVP of the of the Super Bowl, and the drastic route this guy had to take. I mean, he he was selected uh, by Andy Reid, then he was traded uh, a year later, gets traded to the worst team in the NFL at that time period, and then gets cut. Uh, you know, so when you get cut from the worst, and by the way, when you get cut and you're a second string quarterback. From the worst team in the NFL, like it just ain't looking good for you, right? Andy Reid calls him. He goes, look, man, I still see talent in you. I want you to come join us. He's a second-string quarterback yet again. And first-string quarterback gets hurt. Second-string quarterback steps up. Second-string quarterback, I'm sorry, my wife has a Patriots fan, but it's the year the Eagles beat the Patriots. And, and, and you know, he, he gets MVP of the game. And, and how often could that have been our type of story? And I know you're not no NFL quarterback. But how often roadblocks would have would have came up for you and it would have stopped you short because you thought it was over. Right. And, 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 and cool enough, Nick Foles, being a believer, he'll tell you, like, this was God's this was God's path for me the whole time. Right. Like he had to take me down so that I knew how high up, you know, and, he, and it's really cool. So so you've got that. Here's what here's what Paul's really writing at in this letter. This, this is really more of an intro than going verse by verse. We're going to get some verse by verse. Right. But but you got like this this idea of God's in charge of everything. Verse six, he's, whatever he started in you, he's going to complete. But you've also got Andy Reid who had to call him and say, "Look, man, I still see something in you." And that's what Paul, because Paul's writing this thing and he's going, "You guys, my church that I started twelve years ago." You know what I'm saying? Not not me. This is Paul talking, right? But <laughs> as he as he's writing this thing, he's going, "You you guys, my my, my church that I, that I, that I'm that I'm leaning on. You're doing an awesome job." And if it wasn't for you guys, I wouldn't be able to keep doing an awesome job. That's what Paul's writing him. And, and he's saying, he goes, I, I see what you're doing and I see what's going on. So, so Christians, believers, we should be really happy people. 
And I don't mean like giddy and, and giggling and all that. I mean like we should go through the same crap others in the world go through and we should handle it in a completely different way. You determine how you handle it. You can't change the situation. I'm not fool enough, foolish enough to tell you that. But you can change how you handle the situation. Right? You can, you can determine how you're gonna, you're gonna deal with it. Scripture says the joy of the Lord is my strength. So if that is my strength, then whatever comes at me, I can handle, right? The opposite of scripture, well, scripture itself, but, but the opposite idea says the devil wants to steal your joy. You realize the devil don't want to steal your stuff? I hope you understand that because that's important. If the devil wanted to steal your stuff, you know, that would be one thing, but the devil, it doesn't say the devil wants to steal your stuff. He says, I want you to have all the stuff you can have because then you'll start putting your hope and your pride and your happiness and your joy in stuff. He says, I want to steal your, your inner joy. And this is something we got to guard, right? So he, here's some background to saying, I thought it was too great with the first two songs, by the way. So if you, if you sing and if, or if you just read on the screen, this is really how it ties up. So this is huge. And some of you may know this, some of you may not. But before I jump into the Philippians, I want to do the same thing we do with Ephesians. I want us to know who these people are and what started this thing. Because it changes how you interpret a letter. Same, same way with, the, with Ephesus and, and what we got from then, right? So, so look behind the scenes. A city, a place we're going to be in for, I put in my notes a few weeks, but since we only get through not even 11 verses today, probably longer. If you got notes, take, take down Acts chapter 16. Gives us the greatest history of this area, right? And I, and I love this story, man. The, the intro story to Philippians is almost as good as the letter itself. I mean, I mean, seriously, you go to Acts chapter 16 and you've got Paul. He's going on his second missionary journey, right? Except for he's got no intention to go to Philippi. None at all. Matter of fact, his intention is to go the complete opposite direction of Philippi. So I don't know how many of you guys have been on a path and had an idea to go the complete opposite direction of where God wanted you to go. But that's where Paul is. So you can rest assured just to being able to relate with Paul. Like, man, he's calling me south and I want to go north. He's calling me north and I want to go south. He's calling me east and I want to go west. He's calling me west and I want to go east. Like, like all this stuff. He wants to go to Bithynia, which is in the east. But here's what the book of Acts says. Acts chapter 16, it says, but the spirit of Jesus prevented this. So I'm like, what happened? I don't know. It doesn't say. Right? So I jotted down some things that could have happened. It could have been bad weather. Could have been broke down car. Um, broke down camel. Uh, could have been, could have been messed up officials that were, were stopping things. I don't know what it was. All the chapter tells us is that Paul really had this plan to go east to, to this Bithynia, but the spirit of the Lord prevented it. The spirit of Jesus stopped it. Right? And I can't imagine Paul is this type A personality kind of guy that he is laying in bed that night when he realizes he don't get to go where he had planned to go. You ever plan something out in your life? Maybe not a trip, but like just plan something in your life. School, or maybe a spouse, having a kid, a job. You know, so some people get their dream job and they realize their dream sucked. <laughs> right? Some people get what they thought was a nightmare and they realize, man, it became a dream. Some of y'all thought your spouse was going to be perfect and you realize, holy crap, they're not. Uh, some of you thought having kids was going to be a good idea. Oh, they're always a good idea. Sorry. Oh, I got one in here still. But you know, they might like you had all these plans, all these expectations and none of them happened. So Paul's laying in bed this night and I'm just going to assume because he, we know he's a type A kind of guy, but what's been going on? He, he goes to bed. He's frustrated. He's angry. His plans have been like just, just completely shut down. Have you been there? I want you to connect with where Paul's at, right? Because in, in this moment, 
the, the book tells us that Paul has a dream. He goes to bed. I don't know if you ever went to bed with the wrong attitude. Going to bed with the wrong attitude, sometimes you can wake up with the right attitude. Paul goes to bed with the wrong attitude, but he gets this dream. And in the dream, all we really get to know is there was a man from Macedonia, which was, by the way, west. So keep in mind, he had this plan to go east. And, and the guy in the dream is from the west, right? And he appears to him and he's begging him, come, please come over and help us. That's all he gets in the dream. So he's dreaming his dream. And there's this guy saying, man, we need your help. We need your help. Please come help us. So Paul realizes, well, I guess I'm not going east because God wants me to go west. So, so he heads off into this direction, the, the, the region of Macedonia. And the first city he comes through is Philippi, right? And I'm thinking, maybe, maybe I'm less spiritual than Paul, obviously. And I'm thinking like, man, miraculous mandate from God to go in the opposite direction to where you wanted. You've got this guy in a dream begging about it. I'm thinking like when you walk into the city, you're going to finally meet this guy who is in your dream. He's going to come up and be like, man, pour Jesus onto me. He's going to be greeted by crowds of people that are going to be like, oh, we want to be spiritually strong. We are spiritually hungry. Please help us. And, and, and all that kind of stuff. Oh, I don't know if you know this about Paul, by the way. Paul always starts his ministry in every city in the synagogue. So he gets to the city and he's not greeted by all these people. He's not greeted by all this, all these crowds and all this stuff that, that I just thought would be a cool way to be greeted after God told you to go to a city, right? And, and he goes and he's looking for the synagogue. You can imagine knocking on doors. Hey, where's, where's your synagogue? I got to go. I got to meet with these guys. And that's what they did. They laughed. So he goes to the next guy. He goes, oh, center, right? Must not know. Hey, where, where's the synagogue? That guy shrugs his shoulders. And he checks out this whole city, and the whole city doesn't have a synagogue. You know why? Because law said this. Law said there had to be at least 10 men that were willing to get together and, and pray to, to, to start this thing, right? So what you're telling me now is you had this dream about this guy who's begging, please come and teach us. We're spiritually hungry, yet they're so not spiritually hungry that there's not even 10 men in the city that are good. Now you get a picture of what Philippi looks like at the beginning? Right? So much so that they're not devoted to prayer. So, so here's what he does. Thank God for women. I'm being dead serious, right? Because here's what happens. He, he finds this prayer group that meets. One of those sexist prayer groups. Yes, it was only ladies involved. And that's okay in this instance, right? But it begins to minister and talk with them and share with them. And you get the first convert of the New, State, the, the, the New Testament. Right? We would call oh, the first Christian. Right? The first, the first crowd. What a first believer. First, whatever you want to call him as far as the title, right? But it's this businesswoman named Lydia. And she's going to be a real good partner, a real awesome help with, with Paul and everything and, and the ministry that's going. But that, that's not where we're at, right? Because then right after that, you're thinking, all right, this is going to be the turnaround. So Paul and Silas, they, they get together and they're walking around and, and they're spreading the gospel as fast as they can to as many people, right? Like trying to do the work that's before them, except for there's this, there's this little slave girl who's following them around, like interrupting things. Making a mess of things, to be quite honest. I don't know if you've ever been there where like somebody just, just got on your nerves. And I, and I say it that way purposely because I want you to understand. I want you to understand like, like Paul is not in the right set when he finally turns around to this girl. This is not like, oh, spiritual Paul sat down and ministered to this girl and said, spirit, please come out of her and, and, and let this girl be, be whole again. Because this, this slave girl, she's, she's demonized as we would call it, right? Like she's got a spirit about her. She's following Paul around. She's messing stuff up for Paul and Silas. And out of anger, Paul finally turns around and he don't even talk to the girl. He talks to the spirit inside of her. It says, just get out of her. And it happens. 
And it happens. It happened so well, you need to understand this, that now Paul and Silas are going to jail. Well, hold on, there's got to be some sentences between those two things, because he just did a miracle, and now he's going to jail. What happened? Well, to own a slave, you had to have money, right? So there's these powerful people who own this little girl. They were making money off of her. She was demonized in a way that she could tell the future. No, like seriously could tell the future. See, y'all laugh because y'all missed last week when I tell you there's a battle and it's not always against flesh and blood. Like the demon world is real. There's going to be power in the demon world. And it was working. So these people of Philippi have been fooled because there's this demon working in this city and getting the job done. And it's looking good. And it's looking powerful. And everybody came to this couple and they're like, man, I need your little girl to tell me this. And they were like, well, I need you to write a check. So they would write the check. Because if you got somebody that can tell you the future, wouldn't you write the check and find out? So they're writing checks, and this 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 couple is making money off of it. And then this little girl, for some reason, we still don't even know why, right? But for some reason, she begins to follow around two missionary dudes, Paul and Silas. So much so that that, that, that gets on the leader of the missionary's nerves, so much so that he looks back at her and says, just spirit, get on out of her, and we ain't got time for that mess right now. And it works. So now you've got this little girl who is hungry enough to chase after these two spirit guys for some strange reason, right? Maybe the demon thought he could mess stuff up. Now, now she's freed from that, but also her owners are now freed from her power to earn their money. And people don't like when you change their lives. Change their comfort zone, right? Hold on, you, you, you're going to change how I was, how I was making money and getting off on people, right? Like, like you're going to change that? I'm going to put you in jail. So, so these guys, they bring up these charges against Paul and Silas and they go to jail. And you're like, oh, man, next time he has a dream, I pray that he doesn't follow it because this is the worst ever. You know, he goes there. He, he can't even find a church. He finally finds these, these, these group of ladies that are praying. He gets one of them to become a believer. And, and then from that, like the very next thing is he, he performs a miracle and now he's in jail. Paul, what are you doing? What's going on? God, what are you doing? That's where I'm at, right? Except for that night while he's in jail, rather than sitting there moping and groaning and whining and complaining, him and Silas start singing. Now some of you may know the story. You're like, oh, I remember this one, right? They start singing and they start praying and they sing and they pray so much. And this is important for what happens later on in chapter one, by the way, at least I think it is. And, 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 and they start praying and they, and they start singing and, and, and worshiping and, and the other prisoners begin to hear it. Some of them might, might even joined in, Right? They might have realized, like, I've got a voice too right here. So much so this says then there was an earthquake and the doors flew open. Chains fell off. So much so that there's a Roman soldier that's in charge of guarding all this stuff. He says, holy crap, I'm going to die because I just let these these Christians and these, these, these prisoners get away. And he's getting ready to kill himself. And Paul, Paul comes out. He's like, hey, man, stop. Stop, stop, stop. We're all here. Matter of fact, while we're talking and we're all here, let me tell you what we're praying and singing about. So much so that, that this guy gets saved. Then he takes Paul and Silas to his house. You remember the story? This guy's whole house gets saved. So now you've got, hold on, you've got, you've got a God who sent you in the wrong direction because you didn't want to go that direction. You wanted to go the complete opposite direction. But, but, but you go that direction. You, you can't even find religious people in this city to start anything. But yet there is this prayer group of ladies. Who gets this ball rolling? Then you perform a miracle. Then you get thrown in jail. Then, then in jail? In jail? 
a dude and his whole family get saved? Man, now you're growing a church. Not growing it the way you thought it would have been, right? But you're growing it. God had a, such a plan for the Philippians, guys. And he made sure it would be fulfilled. Like, I think it's part of what he's thinking when he writes verse 6. And he says, he who began to work in you, he will finish it. Because it was his plan for you. It wasn't my plan. My idea was to go a complete opposite direction of you guys. My, my plan was to, was to get mad at a little girl, not, not free a little girl. You know, my, my plan wasn't any of this. So even though chosen messengers wanted to go in opposite direction, even though there wasn't enough faithful folks to start a church, even when opposition came and messengers get persecuted, Paul's experience in Philippi taught him that nothing, nothing stands in the way of God's plan. That's good stuff. It's great stuff. So here he is 12 years later after the events of Acts chapter 16. He's now on house arrest or in prison again. He's awaiting a trial, by the way, that is most likely going to lead in his death. So this ain't like he's going to have to pay a fine because he got a little misdemeanor. It's not like he's going to have to serve just a little bit of time. Like This is going to be death. And he knows this. And it's in that that he remembers, man, the last time I was in Philippi, I was sitting in jail and I just started singing and praising and praying. And God did something big. So so what's he doing? I, I think he's praying and, and he's singing. He's praying, and he even says it, right, in the, verse, in the first 11 verses that Beth just read. He's praying, he's saying, God, I'm so thankful for these people. I'm so thankful that they're able to stand strong and stay the course in the midst of adversity. And he's even singing praises for this church, right? I'm so thankful for you guys. Like, I love you guys. It's almost like if, if a pastor could have, like, a favorite group of people, this, this is this pastor's favorite group of people. Praise it. You guys, you are my Philippians. Now, if I ever tell you guys, you are my Corinthians, you just know I am not happy with you. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, you, we're going to get to something they did in a minute, right? <laughs> so he's got this stuff going. So you got to ask, like, what is what is Paul's secret, man, that he's in jail going through all this, having gone through all this? I mean, every plan he had gets messed up. I don't know about you guys, but I get this is a fault of mine. I, I do have one. Right. Like, like I get the most messed up. Whenever I've got expectations and plans and they go the opposite direction. I do. It, it ruins me. It ruins me so much that I even like finally started telling Crystal and the kids like when it happens, I'm like, I should have never had those expectations. Right. Because those expectations, when they don't go that way, they mess up my head. Right. And I react wrong. So I'm like, how does Paul do this? He thinks about the right things. Because for all but three times that he mentions joy, he also mentions a mind. Right behind it. 16 times he mentions his mind, right? Well, think about this for us. Even in the worst circumstances, what is it your mind goes straight to? If you suffer a loss of something, do you think about what you lost? Or do you think about what you have left? Don't answer these out loud, right? When you look at people, do you generally look at somebody and you think about their weaknesses right away? Or do you look for their strengths right away? Which way is it, right? You know, to, to be quite honest, I'm, be, I'm, I'm just going to be blunt about it. It's the reason we got so much divorce in the world today. Because you started focusing so much on the faults of your spouse that it's all you saw. And if that's all you saw, how miserable are you going to be, right? What, what if you went back and started focusing and thinking so much on what, what drew you to him in the beginning? What, what if you purposely tried to focus and concentrate on what it was that made you fall in love with him? How different would it be? How different would your relationship be, right? How much more powerful could that be? What about when you look at yourself? 
Do you look in the mirror and just see all your faults and weaknesses? What's wrong with you? Or do you see, man, I'm a child of God who had mercy on me, who forgave me. And every day is a brand new day with his mercy new every day. So whatever I'm going through, I can still handle, right? It's so important because our joy or our lack of joy speaks a message to the world. Scripture calls the church, what, the light of the world. So are we being a light that's drawing people or are we being a light that's pushing people away? Go to, go to the beginning of it. All that just to get to verse 1, right? <laughs> Philippians chapter 1, 1 and 2. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with overseers and the deacons. Grace to you. Peace from God, our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Now, normally you wouldn't think you could get much out of an intro. Right? And you guys would be thinking, man, the first two verses we get to fly through. He can't spend that much time on those. Like, because there's not much lessons there. There are great lessons in the intro that he's got right here, right? And it's very greedy. And the first one is this. It just seems so obvious to me, but I want to make sure we get it right. You notice Paul doesn't call himself any of these fancy titles? Does he? What does he say? Paul and Timothy and our identity is what? Servants of Christ. The same word he just used in Ephesians, by the way, when he talked about bond servants, right? He, he, he throws it out there. No fancy title. None of this. He, he's not saying, look, I'm a reverend. I'm a bishop. I'm a doctor. You know, all, all this stuff that goes through. And sometimes I, I, I get a little annoyed because somebody asks me if I'm doing a wedding or whatever. And they want to put it in the thing like, you want us to call you reverend? I'm like, no. No, there ain't but one name that needs to be reverend and it ain't mine. You know what I'm saying? Like, you can just put my name down there. That's all if you want to put something. But don't, I don't need none of the rest of that stuff. And, and Paul's like this. And I'm not saying titles can't be respected and, and that's fine and all that kind of stuff. But, but what I'm pointing out and what I see here with Paul is sometimes when people get in a place of leadership, they begin to think too highly of themselves than they ought to. And while we're talking to believers, Paul's writing this letter to believers, right? Maybe there's just this little hidden lesson then that he's saying, you guys, because of the position you've been put in, have the temptation to think higher of yourselves than you ought to. Right? Some of the other letters that he's going to write, he's going to have to get on a couple of them because they're not thinking right about themselves, right? They've lost who they are. Why do you think he started Ephesians in the way he did? What did he tell them? He goes, God picked you out, fools. You're not special because of any other reason other than the fact that God picked you. Like God called you. God lined it up. God saved you. God paid for you. Right? So, so he's making sure we understand who we are. And sometimes when we get into some certain positions, whether it be leadership or just believer over non-believer, like we think of ourselves as a boss rather than a servant. And Paul just starts out this thing right here. He's just saying, man, me, me and Timothy, we're just, we're just servants of Christ, man. Right? I, I think people in leadership ought to talk to themselves. I'm, I'm dead serious. Like in a weird way, yes. I think you ought to talk to yourself and remind yourself every morning like I'm nothing without Christ. The position he's put me in, Nothing without Christ. I think husbands ought to talk to themselves. You know what I'm saying? Like, I can't lead this house. I can't lead my wife if I ain't got you. I think I think we ought to talk to ourselves. I think part of this mind idea maybe is that right there. Maybe we ought to mind ourselves. Like, I'm only in this position because God put me in this position. And if God picked me up, God can also bring me back down. Maybe we just need to realize that, right? So talk to yourself in a weird way. There's lesson one. It's free. Right? Because I think we got the power not only to change our lives, but we got we got the power to change the lives of others, guys. If we would get our mind off of ourselves and start looking at ourselves as servants of what we can do for others. We're so self-interested, right? Rather than others interested. 
And, and if we would ju- just be honest, and write this down and answer it on your own. Don't answer it out loud, right? How many of us could be doing more for others? Now, some of you, I, I'm going to be like Paul. Some of you probably do a great job and you need to be encouraged by it. But some of us, really, all of us could probably do more, right? Maybe right behind that, you could write, we need to stop teaching on this stuff and start doing this stuff. And we can teach to the cows come home, but until we start actually doing it, what, what good's it going to be, right? So, so Paul Timothy calls himself a, a servant. A sir, I, I can't even get off the word yet, right? Because you can't serve God and not serve people. You understand that? Because some, some of us don't. I, that, some of y'all like, that was like a huge revelation just now. You're like, holy cow, what? You can't. Because in order to serve God, you're saying what? Like, like everything I have belongs to the Lord. So therefore, I should be using it to do the means of the Lord. Right? God loves people, does he not? Is God not crazy about people? Isn't that crazy about it? Some of y'all think because you dropped some money in the plate or the box back there, like, like you served the Lord. Some of you think because you sing. Some of you think because you listened to a sermon and maybe took down a note. Like some of you just thought because coming. No, that, that ain't ministry. That ain't serving the Lord. Some of y'all come just to get something. That's serving yourself. Right? We're going to get to that in just a minute too, by the way. Serving God means serving people. Jesus was all about people. He's a lover of people. And Paul knew this. He, he knew something that we need to recognize here, and it's this, what he wrote to the, to the Corinthians. He said, I'm not my own. I've been bought with a price. I've been redeemed, which means what? Like you've been paid for because you belong to the enemy, the evil one. He had you, and Christ came in and paid blood to buy you back. Right? Like, so, so you're not his, you're his. And if I'm a house of the Lord, and you're a house of the Lord, what does that mean? It means the Holy Spirit lives in us. Are we not quick to always try to teach people that? Oh, the Holy Spirit, that little girl's getting baptized. I hope she gets she gets fed and pounded with it. You ain't just getting wet, baby. The Holy Spirit just took up residence inside of you. Right. And he is there to stay. He ain't leaving. Right. Well, well what does scripture say? The Holy Spirit is uh, two main titles. I grabbed just real quick. He's a comforter and he's a helper. He's a comforter and he's a helper. So if the spirit of God is living inside of us, how can we not want to comfort and help other people? The whole servant idea now is taking thing, right? I would say if you don't want to help somebody, something's probably wrong and you need to check out your salvation. There's a verse we're going to use. Some of us use this in, in, in this letter. It says you need to work out your salvation. We're going to get to that later. Right? Nowhere near tonight. But but maybe if, if you're noticing some red flags right now, maybe you need to start working out on that, uh, that salvation thing. Right? Because if Christ is in us, his nature is in us, we get grieved when people are mistreated. Like we feel bad when people are hurting. If you can watch some of the crap that goes on in this world with the news and court cases and, and all the other stuff going on and it not hurt you. Man, you, you need to go back to talking to yourself. And what you need to ask yourself is, am I really a child of God? Does the Holy Spirit really reign inside of me? Did I make a decision years ago to get wet or did I make a decision years ago for the spirit to get inside of me and my life to be changed because of it? Because if you can look at people hurting outside and not have any compassion, guys. Man, that's that's a red flag, man. If you can hurt somebody and not instantly have this this thing about you where you want to go apologize. Something's wrong. And I don't know about some of you men, but us men, sometimes we we get this internal fight that goes on during this. At least I do, because like I may do something wrong and I know I should go apologize. But like, I don't want to be the one to apologize all the time. Maybe even in marriage. Right. Like I'm going to make her say sorry this time. You know what I'm saying? I lose that battle every single time. Right? I'm weak. Coward. Scared of Jesus and my wife. Right? 
Do, do we want to treat people the way God treated people? God doesn't like when people get mistreated, right? So, so maybe even here's another lesson, right? So, so we got all that going. And, and then he says this, just, just with the intro again, I'm Paul and I'm Timothy. You realize he got somebody with him now? Timothy was probably, let's just understand this. Timothy's probably coming to drop some snacks off. Right? After you study and check it out, like the Romans didn't believe in, in meeting any of your needs while you're in house arrest, you're not allowed to leave. So, so Timothy may just be coming to drop off some stuff, right? But we know Timothy's like this really young pastor, and he was, he was under Paul, not, not just here, but later in his own letters and stuff that they, they write and stuff. So maybe the lesson is this. Those, those that are mature in Christ, maybe we should start mentoring somebody in Christ. The church has dropped the ball on discipleship, guys. We're, we're big on evangelism, right? Oh, man, we're excited there's a tent at the end of the road. Right? We, we might get 500 people to go down to the river at the end of this thing. What you going to do with the 500 after that? Hmm? Because if they don't get involved in a body of Christ and they don't start getting fed and they don't start being mentored to and they don't start growing, I can tell you what in 500 going to be. They're going to be Corinthians and not Philippians. Right? They're going to be getting written to and saying, you knuckleheads, you done screwed up again. Rather than being written to and saying, man, I'm, God, I'm so proud of you guys. See the difference? Right? Like, it's huge, man. It's huge. That's why Sunday school is so important. That's why Bible study is so important, right? If you're more mature in Christ, you need to watch out for younger Christians. And not to be the boss of and hold them accountable in a negative way either, by the way. Nobody needs you running behind them saying, you did that wrong. You made a mistake again. Well, you sucked that one up. Right? They need you coming behind me. Man, let, let me show you how to do this. Let me train you. Let me teach you. Let me show you a better way. Let, let me show you how to dive into to scripture and get a hold of this thing. Right? They, they don't need a boss all around them. They need an example. They need a word. They need a teacher. They need a trainer. And when Paul writes this, he's just reminding us again, like e- even at this stage, I didn't let my circumstances change what I'm supposed to be doing. Even at this stage, I'm still mentoring to Timothy. I got him right here with me right now. And we're writing this letter to you guys. We're remembering some of this stuff. Verse two. Man, that was a long verse one. Paul started, Paul started almost all his greetings this way, but, but I just got to point it out, right? Grace and peace be unto you. Why? Because you can't have peace if you don't understand grace. If you didn't get that, let me repeat it. You can't have peace if you don't understand grace. So when Paul writes this intro to, to his letters on many times, he says, grace and peace be unto you. This is big to understand because we, we look at it all the time as what? Grace is God's undeserved favor. True. Nothing wrong with that at all. But grace is also the power of the Holy Spirit to live in your life and accomplish things. Because when he writes this in his letters, what's the, what's the rest of the stuff he's about to say? Very rarely is it just talking about that undeserved favor. The rest of it's going to be like, you guys ought to be doing this. And you guys ought to be doing this. And you guys ought to be doing this. And in order for you to do all this, you're going to need the power. And in order to get the power, you got to, you got to understand this undeserved grace that, that, that comes in through it. Right? If you live by the grace of God, you're going to have a peace in your life. Look, look at Acts chapter 17, 28. If you live by grace, you're going to have peace. Thinking, man, I don't have any peace and you're not living by grace. Acts 17, 28 says, for in him, you should underline in him. We live and we move and we have our being in him. It's about so much more than just going to church, man. Right. Because if we look at this part about about in him, then the opposite apart from him, what we have nothing. Is that not true? Like if it's true one way, it's got to be true the other way. Right. 
Man, it's so important to understand we get this. So, so Paul gets that in the beginning with this thing. He gets these, these lessons to us. Then he gets to verse 3. And we're going to use a little bit of 3 through 11 later on also. But I, I just want us to look at 3 through 11 for the rest of, rest of our time, right? And he says this. I thank my God in all my remembrances of you, always in every prayer of mine. Can you imagine somebody praying for you every time they prayed? You realize that's what Paul's saying? He goes, every time I pray, there ain't been a time I ain't prayed yet. That God ain't put you on my mind. And that, that's awesome, right? Like, I don't care what you're going through. Like, if somebody tells you that, that, that feels good. Right? I want to know somebody's praying for me every time they pray. I, I want to know that, who I can depend on to be my prayer warriors, right? And he says that. And he says, and in this, you all making my prayer with joy. Why? I, I'm just joyful because of our partnership. He, he's joyful because of our partnership in what? In the God. Like, we're doing God's work together. And then he even goes a little deeper. He says, from the first day you heard it until now. Maybe we ought to stop waiting to get involved and just get involved. Right? What, what, what does it say to these guys? Now, remember the city. Now, the city so much where it didn't have 10 faithful men to start a synagogue. Where people wanted to get rid of him, put him in prison. And he was in prison because he was freeing people from being demonized. This ain't the best city in the world at the beginning. This is the conditions, right? But he says, from the day you got it, you became my partners. You guys got involved instantly, right? I picture a man like doing whatever, like cleaning out rooms and making churches. Like, like yeah, some of it's going to be money and all this stuff, right? But how many of us like, ah, oh, I got to wait till like, I get a little, a little more. I got to wait to get on stage. I get some music training, right? I, I got to wait to teach. I'm so grateful for our men. No, I'm serious. I don't tell our men enough this, uh, this enough, but I'm telling you, right, I'm so grateful for our men that will step up and lead a Bible study when they ain't never led a Bible study on Wednesday nights. That's huge. It's huge. I bet we could go to the biggest churches. I, I would challenge it right now. All kidding aside, I ain't got. I throw it down right now. You pick any big church and say, I bet we got as many men that have led a Bible study here in this little tiny church than they got in them big ones. I'm serious. Why? Because what do they got? They got one guy doing it every single week, all the time, the same thing, and they ain't training nobody. They're not. Now, some people think, man, that's a crazy idea. You're going to let a dude just come in and teach? Yeah, but I'm sitting right there. It get too crazy. I can throw up a red flag, right? But think about that. How else are you going to get it? You can't get it out there if you're not willing to get it in here. And that's the mindset of a lot of our men, man. How better to do it in here where you can be loved and encouraged the right way rather than do it out there. You got some jerk that's going to treat you the wrong way. Right. It's huge, man. I'm telling you that is, that is so big, man. So big. And I'm so proud that we do it. Right. So so here's this 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 lesson here that goes even deeper. Verse six. Right. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion to the day of Jesus Christ. Mm. Let me ask you this. Maybe you should write this down and answer it throughout this week. What would you be willing to risk for the kingdom if you knew it couldn't fail? Seriously, what would you be willing to risk in your life if you knew, which I guess then it's not a risk, but just for the sake of the illustration, right? What would you be willing to risk in your life if you knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that it could not fail? And what does scripture continue to promise us over and over again? It's going to work out for his plan because it's his kingdom. 
Which means this, you got to also be okay that if you're going to take a risk that you thought was going to take you east, that when God calls you west, you got to be all right with it. Right? It means that you got to be willing to take a risk that says when you turn around and tell a little demon girl that the demon got to leave her and that puts you in jail, you got to be okay that you can sing and pray and, and get it on in jail just like you could have got it on outside. Right? you got to be willing to do that. And that's what Paul's saying. He goes, I know the, the, the Lord is going to finish whatever it is that he started because it's his plan. So if we're truly working for his kingdom, he's going to make sure it works out his way. Right? That you got to also understand. That means it might not be your way. But just like the beginning, of, I think when he thinks about this, man, the beginning of Philippians. But I also, also got to be honest with you guys, because the very next part, we, we live in a society where we like to just pick verses, right? I like that verse. How many times you ever heard, being, being honest, how many times you ever heard verse 6 quoted? Or maybe I do it this way. How many of you have heard verse 6 quoted more than 10 times in your life? Some of you are like, I don't know what verse 6 is. It's he who began to work and you will complete it. Oh, yeah, yeah, everybody's hands now. I get it on the postcards. All those, all those believers in the world are telling me all the time it's going to just be great. Right? How many of y'all ever heard uh, this next verse quoted? Indeed, it's right for me to think this way. Oh, hold on, I'm sorry. That one is a good one to have, right? How many of us ever heard uh, the one about uh, giving quoted over and over? Right? Indeed, it's right for me to think about you this way because I have in my heart, you're all partners with me in grace. What, what does that mean? What's, what's he really getting at, right? I thank God for you because of your partnership in the gospel, right? I shared some spiritual wisdom and you guys are supporting it. Why? So I can take it to other people. Now, now here's what also it means. you got to take it a little deeper, right? He said the word and right there. So in context... Not that it's wrong to think about the beginning of Philippi and what's on Paul's mind and, and all this kind of stuff about God finishing things out. But in context, he's saying, and, meaning because of what I just said, I'm sure that he who began to work in you will be able to complete it to its finish, right? So part of this completed work is what? Our giving. Oh. That's why we don't quote the next one. Right? It means we got to do something with it. Are we, are we giving type people? Are we giving type people? You know, I get asked sometimes by, by people that had a long dinner one night with somebody over it, and they were like, I never thought you'd have this problem, right? But they'd be like, man, I, I don't know how you don't preach on tithing. And I don't know how y'all don't pass off from plate. Right? And I just snicker. Like, well, we ain't missing no bills yet. Matter of fact, everything we got is paid for. How's yours doing? But I get a little prideful when it comes to that. And I ain't going to lie to you. Maybe that, maybe that shouldn't have been a thought, but I'm like, how far in debt you guys? Oh, we got none of that. <laughs> right? Like, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, so, so that, that does come in. But you know why? It's not, not prideful in anything we're doing other than the fact that we're being obedient. If you got a true relationship with Christ, you're a giving person. Sometimes I get, I, I'm not going to lie, Crystal has to get me back in, in line, right? Sometimes, sometimes I'll be getting phone calls from people who want stuff. And in my head, I'm like, how you going to ask when you don't believe? I'm just being honest. Like that, that's what comes in my head. All right. I'm, I'm falling too. All right. Or, or, or even some people who like came to church one time seven years ago and they remembered, oh, they got that benevolence fund. Let's call them and see. You know what I'm saying? And part of me in my head, I got to be honest. I'm like, what do you mean? But then the other part of me, I got to realize, like, this is the Lord's money. This ain't mine. This, 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 is, the, this, is, this is his body. This is who we're supposed to be reaching to the most. Those that are hurting and those that are in need, those are the ones we're supposed to be going out to. Right? I tell you all the time and I, and I fully believe it. We get so worked up as a society about what the government 
isn't doing. You need to remember the government ain't called to do half the things you expect them to be doing. We're called to do them. Read your Bibles. Read it. We're supposed to take care of widows. We're supposed to take care of orphans. We're supposed to take care of them. We're supposed to take care of the old people. Right? It don't say, and the government shall tax you and they shall use their taxes to do all the things that you want them to do. No! Even when Jesus did pull a fish, I mean, a, a coin out of a fish's mouth, he never said, the government's going to spend it the right way, so go give it to them. No, he's probably shaking his head like, these morons are going to blow it, but it is the rule, so let's do it. Right? He knew what was going to happen. He knew how messed up it was. Can't fool him. Right? But we're to do it. We're to do it. So are we giving type people? Hear me. Because I really believe this. I believe that if we're stingy and all we do is take, 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 we'll reach a course in life where we can't grow anymore. As, as a whole church and as individuals. You know what I mean? Like if, if we're not using, if we're not, if we're not spending what God's given us, you know, then, then why would he give us more? Right? Remember, this is encouragement. It, it, it's hard, hard not to get off on a tangent, but this is encouragement to these people. So these people have been doing it. He's telling them, you guys have been doing awesome at it. But throughout this letter, he goes, I want to make sure, because I just had to write these other believers, and they ain't been getting it right. I want to make sure you guys stay the course. So if you're doing that, stay the course. If you're not doing it, change your course. Right? He goes on. We finished reading this section. He said, it's right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart for my partners in grace. Both of my imprisonment and the defense of the uh, confirmation of the gospel for God is my witness that I yearn for you all. Is that not a big promise? Huh? We use that phrase in a foolish way. You ever heard people say that? God is my witness. Half the time they lying. Right? They worldly, it don't apply to them. Right? But can you imagine Paul, the guy who fully believes every word he speaks when he says it? I believe he's sitting there and I believe as he's praying this, he's like, Lord, I know you're looking down on me. And if this is wrong, then you get me. For God is my witness. I yearn for you guys. Are you listening to how Paul's writing this? Did you listen when Beth was reading or as you read it yourself? He loves these people, man. He loves, he's crazy about them. This isn't just like, you know, somebody that I get to tell them what to do because I started the church or, or somebody who admires me every time I come down. He's saying, I come to serve you guys. I yearn for you guys. I have a longing for you in my heart. If you guys ever don't feel that you're cared for, get out. Because here's the lesson right here, right? Maybe this isn't a lesson for you. It's a lesson for leaders, right? Leadership should care about their people. And when leadership stops caring about their people, there's a problem, man. You ought to be under people in the, in the church world who really love you, who pray for you daily, who want to see you become the person in Christ that you're supposed to be. Now, sometimes that does mean tough love. Don't get me wrong. If you want somebody to become all they're supposed to be in Christ, there's going to have to be some rough conversations too. Right? you got to polish out that rock. Paul was so thankful for the partnership of these people for what? Spreading the gospel. Getting the good news out and, and keeping it going. You, you know what I, I love and I think about this, right? Especially with, if you got your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 because I'm going to go there. Right? But, but he's partnered with these people and it says from the very first time until now. Like you guys have been with me from the time I first came and, and, and preached and, and Lydia got right and that little demon girl got right. And the Philippian jailer got right and his whole family got You've been with me since then until right now as I'm writing back chained up in a Roman house prison, right? But what I love is this. Paul, I don't know if you guys ever studied like Paul's life, not his letters, but like his life. He's working so hard to earn money. You realize after he got fired from being a religious leader, he becomes a tent maker, right? Y'all remember that part of Acts? 
So he was this religious leader, which probably made pretty good money, by the way, right? Or, or at least was able to stiff off enough people <laughs> to live a good life. And, and he has to quit that because he gets he gets rid of religion, so he gets a relationship, right? You realize Paul had to stop being religious to get salvation. That, that ought to be, man, y'all. If you didn't get it, just write it down, highlight it, underline. That's that's huge, right? But but he had to do that. In that process, he goes, man, I, I need a way of making money now. So so he gets with some of these ladies originally, right? And he, he learns how to make tents. And he starts working. These people in Philippi, they're like, no, nah, we don't want you working. We want you preaching. So they start sending him this money and stuff to, to keep it going. He's like, no, I don't want the church to depend on me. I got to get a job. So it's like this battle going on. Is that not a beautiful battle, though? Do we see that battle now? I mean, think about it. you got pastors now making millions of dollars. Why? So they can sit down and do nothing five days out of the week, most likely. I know some of them are doing a great job. Don't get me wrong. But, right, for the most part, that money corrupts a lot of it, right? And you got Paul like wanting to work so the church doesn't have to depend on him because this church is actually poor, even though it's from a, a good area. Because here's what he says. Let me just read it, right? I love and Here's what I'm trying to get at. Paul didn't have to talk them into giving. We ain't never had to talk nobody into dropping money in the box back there. All right? We ain't had a Sunday yet in 12 years where I've had to say, guys, the electric bills do, and we didn't meet the money this week. So please, please, we're going to sing one more hymn until the last dollar gets dropped. Y'all been there in this old Southern Baptist churches. I know you have, right? We're just going to sing it one more time until a dollar gets in there. We're going to sing it one more time until one more person gets saved. Because there's nothing like getting saved when you're forced to do it, right? Like that, that'll solve it right there, right? I'm going to get off on the wrong tangent. I apologize. Right? <laughs> he didn't have to force them and try to talk them into giving. They were excited about what they heard, so they did it. Look at this. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, first four verses. You, <laughs> I told y'all a minute ago. I don't know if you ever read these letters and understood, right? When I call you a Corinthian, it's a bad thing. Because these guys screwed up a lot. <laughs> right? Like a lot. Philippian good thing. So now he's writing to the people that screwed up a lot. And he's talking about the good people. You, you ever had, anybody got a sibling? You ever had mom and daddy sit down? Hey, we'll use Wilson since he got all them brothers, right? Wilson, they ever sat down with you and been like, now Wilson Branders is doing a phenomenal job. He's such a good leader, and he's he's really excelling at everything he's doing, and you kind of suck. <laughs> you're not doing it. You're not cutting the. You're not you're not meeting the mark. How would I feel? But he's doing it to encourage them. Don't miss. He really is. He's doing it because he wants them to change. So when he writes the Corinthians, the bad guys, the Wilsons. <laughs> I'll say it. I'll, I'll say it since we're online. Wilson's my favorite because he's here and you're not. Right? They don't hurt my feelings. None. I can have favorites. I'm not religious. Right? <laughs> and maybe we should ask this way. What did these people have that we're missing? I feel like we're missing something when I read about these people. I really do. Like, all kidding aside, no joke anymore, right? Because he didn't have to talk to them in anything. Look at Second Corinthians chapter 8, first four verses. And imagine this. Just imagine if you could, just imagine if you could have this today. We want you to know, brethren, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. That's the Philippines. For in a severe test of affliction, they're suffering and they're poor. COVID hit them. Right? There, there's, there's, there's containers full of stuff that nobody can get, so sales are down. Material's hard to get. Or are we getting a real enough picture of, of what he's saying now about these people? Right? Among these churches in the severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty. How in the world do you have an abundance of joy 
and in extreme poverty at the same time. Huh? Have overflowed into a wealth of generosity. This is not a good math. If you were a math teacher, this is the worst verse ever. Abundance of joy plus a lack of money equals an abundance of giving. And I don't think it works that way in the real world, man. You must be missing something, right? And overflow in the wealth of their generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of letting them take part in the relief of the saints. Jeremiah, you had the fun to go to Africa, right? Did you have people begging you? Jeremiah, please let me give you a check with a lot of zeros at the end. You didn't have none of that? Huh. Hey, Peels in Puerto Rico, y'all got people begging y'all every week? Please let me donate to your ministry and all the things that are going on. Did they donate that way? Did they get hungry about begging to give you before you had a bigger organization and things going well and 50 youth meeting tonight and people getting baptized? Or did they just now get on board because things are looking good and now they want to be a part of it? Oh, man, Pastor, you're kind of being mean. Oh, get over it. Right? Now, I'm talking to a good group because we don't have to beg you. I don't have to pass a plate 50 times and do one more hymn and make sure we get the dollars. To pay. We never pass one as far as for an actual offering, right? So, so, so think about this. This is what he's writing though. These guys are begging me to let them give me money. What in the world? That better be somebody calling to give money right now. Right? <laughs> somebody just heard it. They dropped the check. That was somebody online, right? They're like, hey, put me some money in Auburn plate. <laughs> I want to go call out who it was, man. Dang. Could you imagine what Paul's writing about here, though, guys? He's writing to people that are selfish and hard-hearted. On, on one instance, that's part of what goes on in Corinth. Another part of it is like they're they're almost too free with what they believe, and I'll get to that at the end because I think it goes back with the love thing better. So I don't want to I don't want to be in a side of order. But but like he's just he's writing to a group of people that got they, they're all just twisted up in their beliefs and understandings of the gospel, and he's writing to me goes I've got people. Who are saying, please, 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 please let me give. Right? Please let me be a part of this. Please let me help out. I got Isaiah's that are shouting, here I am, send me. Right? Because I don't think it just goes into financial giving, by the way. We, we ought to have people like racing to get on the stage. We ought to have, have, have people like determined to, 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 to reach out and help others. We ought to have, we ought to have so many volunteers at the turkey shoot that we got to tell people, Hey man, you got to sign up on a different night and just hang out by the fire. Like we, we ain't got room and space for everybody. You know what I'm saying? Like we, it ought to be so full and so packed with everything that goes on. But instead, what do we normally see in the church world today? Oh, please help sign up and do this. Please sign up to clean the church. Please sign up to do food. Please give your offering. Please come help us do this. Please come help us do that. Please come on a missionary trip with us. The early church, there was no begging. You didn't have to ask and try to coerce people into getting involved. People were hungry. They had that fire inside them. They were like, man, I want to give. You know what? I'm broke. I'm still giving. Right? I wonder oftentimes what like people who the Lord has blessed financially could really do if they would get on board with this whole idea. You think God blessed you so that you can have a nice house and a, and a nice car? I think you missed it. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I think we've dropped the ball sometime. I'm going to get off of that 
No, I'm not. Stingy people. I'm, I'm really not. Like stingy people, they got like a little heart. And what Paul says right here in this section, and he says, but generous people. I love that word generous. Generous people, right? Not just in money, but like generous in every way of life. I want to, I want to do more than I have to do. What if we had that kind of attitude, right? I, I want to stretch myself j- just a little bit. I don't ever want to stop growing. That's what Paul's saying is he writes this thing. He goes, you guys are doing good. I don't want you to stop growing. I, I want you to keep, I want you to stay the course, right? One, one of my favorite, not just because he's a cowboy, because his throws sucked last week, right? One of my favorite, though, is Dak, man. That overcome, y'all don't know, overcome a lot of adversity, brother, suicide, mom died, cancer, just lost his grandma last week, by the way. Uh, just, just, just rough, 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 rough. Got that ankle injury, like messed up, right? Wasn't a first round draft pick or anything like that. Just, just rough. And he throws this paper cup standing on the sidelines where they got servants working for him. Cause y'all know that's how it works in the NFL, right? Throws this paper cup and misses the trash can. Cameras on him cause he was doing something, right? And he gets up and picks up this paper cup and puts it in the trash can. That's being willing to grow. You know what I'm saying? That's being willing to grow. When you, when you've made it to this level that the people think you shouldn't have to do no more and you still do. What about us as believers? That's a football player. Whoopty freaking do, right? What about us as believers? What makes us think that we've made it to a level where we don't have to do no more? We ought to be the most doing people there is. You know what I'm saying? Like we, we ought to be picking up trash that ain't ours. We, we ought to not even have to have a cleaning team because when a trash can gets full, See, luckily in church, y'all don't play it as good as we play it at our house. We play this game at our house. Who can stack trash on the trash the highest? And a couple of them at my house are really good at it. I got tired of losing the game, so now I become dad that says, Paxton, dump the trash. So in essence, I kind of lost the game because I didn't do it myself, but I did force my kid to do it. So that's all right. Like it counts as both our points now. We're better than the other three in the house, right? Like, you know what I'm saying? But like, that ought to be how it is for cleaning team. Like, you ought to not have to have a cleaning team because people's racing to dump the trash can when it gets full. People's racing. Were you in there using the bathroom? Clean the bathroom. Huh? That's going above and beyond. Wait, we don't do it though. We don't go above and beyond. Why? Because we're happy to get. You realize partnership is a two-sided relationship? Everybody's got a responsibility? This applies to marriage, church, work, everything, right? Everybody's got a responsibility, right? God's going to put something on your heart to give and you're going to have to make a choice. Am I going to do it or not? But we don't want to always, we want to always be getting so much. They're like, I think we're so full. It's why we can't, it's why we can't get nothing else. You, you ever heard people in the church be like, well, I've been going there and I just ain't getting nothing out of it. Maybe you ain't getting nothing out of it because you're so full of stuff. You ain't released nothing. There ain't no more room for God to put nothing else in. You ever thought about it that way? Right? Sometimes you got to spend what you've been given. So that you got some room for the next thing to come in. That works with money, spiritual lessons, everything else, right? This is good stuff, man. Maybe we ought to start asking God, God, what, what is it you really want me to be doing? Because I'm going to tell you right now, the opportunities to minister are everywhere. All you got to do is do it. All you got to do is get involved, right? All you got to do is become, become one of these guys where you can have a letter written about you where he says, man, I'm so grateful for the work and the contribution and the partnership that we share together. I really want to have the I really want you to have. I really do. As I really want you to have the life that Christ has for you. You, you. There's nothing worse than a miserable saint. Right? You realize God calls you saint, like we are saints. When he talks about the work of the saints, he's talking about what? Believers. Right? We're, we're saints now. A miserable sinner, that's one thing. That's expected. But a miserable saint, that's a mess. Right? Well, how many miserable saints we got rolling around? 
Huh. I want us to live a life that glorifies God and shines bright. Let me go to verse 9. All right. Hmm. Maybe we we'll just open our eyes and see the people around us. Verse 9. Something you can do when you leave here. What does he say? I pray that your love <laughs> would abound yet more and more. And if I was writing it, it would be like an and more and more and more. Chris was trying to be funny last night. She's writing this paper. She goes, I got this real long sentence. And the whole time we've been together in life, I've been a student. Right. So or the, the whole beginning. And I'm not a student no more. Thank God. Right. But the, the whole beginning, I'd write. And she'd be like, that's that's a run on sentence. I'd be like, no, baby, I put a comma right there. She goes, you can't just put a comma anywhere in the sentence to make it along. Make it make it make it a connect sentence. I say, oh, yeah, you can watch this right here. Comma. So she reads the sentence last night and she says, hey, this sounds like a really long sentence. You think it's right? And I just started laughing. I was like, you really at this stage in life asking me about a run on sentence. Put a comma and an and in two spaces beside it. It'd be good to go. And it takes up more room in writing, right? <laughs> I think Paul would have wrote that though, man. I think he would have said, I pray, verse 9, that your love would be abounding yet more and more and more and more. Now you've got to understand it. Because he's writing to a church that's exhibiting this. What did he say? I'm thankful for the love you guys are already showing. But you, but you know when you got a, a real relationship with somebody is when they can tell you, like, I'm thankful that you're this good, but I want you to be this good. And mean it. He's telling me, he goes, you guys are doing great. But I want that love to go more and more and more and more. I don't want you to be satisfied. You realize I think one of the greatest enemies of the church is complacency. We get satisfied too quick. We're good that somebody will fill a shoe. We're, we're good that we can get this done, right? Well, I'm doing, I'm doing a pretty good job and that's good enough. No, that ain't it. Good enough ain't it. I want to do better because I want to glorify God. I want to, I want to perform excellence because I serve an excellent God. Right? I, I want to love people the way Jesus loved people. Can we even love the way Jesus loved? Unconditional love? Think about it. Be honest with yourselves. So much of our love is still based on how people treat us. It is, even in our own houses, which is sad. Right? This word abound, large amounts, packed, overflow, crowded with, full of, to do more than you have to. He wants them to have more knowledge. And what does he say? More discernment. Man, I could preach on discernment for like a week. Seriously, like discernment is something we overlook so many times, but it's so powerful. We need discernment. You understand that? Like we need it. And when Paul is praying this, he's not praying for people to get everything they wanted. Nowhere in there does he say, and I pray for you guys, that God's going to give you everything you've been asking for. Right? He he doesn't even say like, he's not even praying for their problems, which kind of cracks me up a little bit in this letter. He he doesn't pray for any of their problems. He doesn't go like, man, I know you guys are struggling here, so I'm going to pray for you. Nope. Nope. He's I'm going to pray for what you really need. And what you really need is some discernment. We, we have this problem like we often think that we know what we need. Right? We, we, we've got this thing going where we keep going after what we want, keep going after what we want, and we forget like I should stop and ask God, God, what do I need? Rather than what do I want? Maybe we should just start praying this week. Try this. God, I ain't smart enough. Just be honest with God. You word it however you want. This is mine, right? God, I ain't smart enough to know what I need. So I pray that you have my eyes to see it. See how easy that is? It's kind of like the dude in Matthew, right? He, he, he brings that dead child. And he goes, I, I don't know what I'm supposed to believe, but I heard you the guy that can get it done. That's, that's a real prayer. I don't know if you guys realize that. 
When you're looking for a real prayer in scripture, see, y'all looking for like these fancy words and, and, and these long drawn out things. This dude just comes to the Lord with a need. And he's just as honest as he can get with him. He goes, Jesus, I help my, his little words is help my unbelief. That's what he tells him. He said, I, I don't believe enough to get it done. So can you fill the rest of it up for me? What if we come to God with that about discernment and stuff? God, help me open my eyes to see what I really need. Not what I want. Help me, help me see what's going to make me, what's going to make me better. Able to serve you better, right? Yeah, give me that. Nothing else. He prayed to prize and approve what was excellent. How does an excellent person behave? Write it down. We're going to go through it in, in, in this whole letter, so I'm not going to answer for it. But think about it. You ever thought about it? Picture it. Close your eyes. Picture it. How would you picture an excellent person? Sometimes it's the dress. Sometimes, you know, it's the, it's the, the cleanliness of it. You know what it is? Only thing I'm going to give you is this. What we do when nobody's looking is who we really are. What you do when nobody's looking is who you really are. Right? If you can get mad and cuss under your breath because nobody can hear you, that's who you really are. If you can look at crap on the screen when nobody's around, that's who you really are. You understand it? What we do when nobody's around is who we really are. And he's praying and he says, I want to I want to prize and approve what was excellent in you guys. I want to take it to the next level. Right. And don't be excellent to get somebody to notice you. Be excellent, like I said a minute ago, because we serve an excellent God. Verse 11, last one for today, right? And he says these fruits of righteousness. Being right, doing right, and loving right is the fruits of righteousness. Write this down because we, we, we mess up some of these phrases sometimes. Christian love is not blind love. I listened to something a couple weeks ago, not related to this chapter at all or anything like this, but it was like Christian love is blind love. And as I listened to that, like something just kept clicking in my head. Like, that's dumb. Just being honest, right? Like, like well thought out, well, good stuff, right? But I was like, that just, nah. You, you ever, you ever, love is blind. You've heard this phrase, right? And like, think about like some women, love is blind. They, they go with the jerk who they know is going to treat them wrong. Right? Everybody even sometimes warns them like, hey, he runs around. Hey, he beats people. Hey, you know, whatever. And like, oh, but love, I love him. And what happens? Unfortunately, sometimes she gets beat. Unfortunately, sometimes she gets ran over, you know, or, or, or run around on or whatever you want to call it. Right. And, and it's like, man, Christian love isn't blind because he and here's what I want. Here's what I want you to understand. Comparing to the two churches again. Right. He, he says, I, I want your love to have discernment. You realize what he's saying, right? Like, I want you to think about this thing. You're like, oh, well, what's wrong with blind love? Blind love lets everything go. You realize why when he writes to Corinthians, he's so mad at these guys in the beginning. Word has gotten back to Paul, by the way. This is how this is. This is like a give hands thing, like rumor travel, right? Rumor traveled so fast. It got back to Paul that, that this dude is now sleeping with his daddy's mom or daddy's wife. Now, some people go as far as saying, like, was that his mom? I don't know. I don't care. Either way, it's bad. Right. And, and it gets back to him. And, and here's why Paul's really mad. He's not mad. It's going on. I think he understands the way of the world is foolishness and our ways is foolishness, right? Like he gets mad. Why? Because the church, the church, Corinth, right? They were okay with it. 
They were publicly saying, we love everybody and we accept everybody in. And we're okay with whatever you do. Does it start to sound familiar now to New Age churches? Huh? You realize what he's so mad at Corinth for? He's so mad because they had blind love instead of discernment. He's like, you guys should have done, should have had some conversations with this guy. Right? You should have dealt with this issue before it got so major and before rumors spread so fast that it got all the way back to me. So what he's saying here with this, this thing of, of love and this idea of discernment, he goes, guys, we, 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 we can't have blind love as believers. We've got to open our eyes so that we can love his way. Jesus. In case you're thinking like, man, you're being, you're being harsh and you're only using Paul as an example. I ought to use Jesus as an example, just like we did at the beginning, right? He, he was the example for bringing forth joy. I, I'll bring him forth. What does he do with the woman at the well? By the way, she's been sleeping with five dudes, okay, in case you don't know the story. Right? He's sitting down with her. He's asking for a drink to start conversation. By the way, start conversation with people before you start condemning them, right? Is that not a good little easy lesson? He sits down and he starts conversation with her. They start talking, and, and, and then it leads to this. Right? And what does he tell her at the end, though? Sin no more. It wasn't blind love. It was, girl, I'm crazy about you. I don't want you to go back to doing the mess you used to do. I want you to go and live differently. You can still love somebody and do some of these tough things. Do we understand the difference? We're in like this. What it is is worldly definitions has messed up a lot of stuff. That's really what it is. Like we in this idea that, that love just makes everything. Nah, man. True love sometimes makes things real rocky. Right? And that's okay. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. You truly love somebody the way God loves them. You want them to change. You want them to be motivated to do the right thing. Right? Love's not blind. The start of this letter, Paul is being grateful for this church and the desire for them to stay the course. I want you to keep loving people. I want you to keep being my partner in ministry. I want you to keep striving to do better and better and better and better. I want you to love God more. I don't ever want you to be satisfied with how much of him you got right now. Like I want it to be like like something that you just got to got to keep doing and keep going and and, and keep moving. Right. And and he's going through this and and he's going through this and he's going through this. And and what does he tell him right in the middle? He goes, I assure you, I assure you. Whatever God has started in you, he'll finish it if you stay the course. Stay the course. If you love people the right way, God will God will help you love somebody the right way. I don't know if you guys ever had to to have some of that tough love. But therein goes back to that prayer thing. Right. What do we say? We ought to just be honest with God and pray. God, I have no idea. How to go talk to my Christian brother and sister that's trapped in this mess that they're in. Like, I, I am scared of the situation. I am trembling in the darkness that could surround this thing very quickly and very wrongly. So, God, I'm depending on you as your megaphone, speakerphone, microphone to just speak through me. I wonder how much more God could accomplish if we would just give him complete reign over us. If we just surrender. God, I give you complete reign over my, my tongue, my mind, so that I can have that right attitude, so I can speak it the right way, so I can live it the right way, so the world around me can see it the right way. Instead of being satisfied with enough being good enough. Right? Maybe maybe some of this stuff is for you. Like you've been doing really good. You just need to be encouraged. Keep it up. Stay the course. Stay the course. Maybe some of it's like, man, I need to I need to get on the course. You know, so like I, I need I need to start doing. I need to start getting involved. I need to start checking this stuff out. I I need to start partnering up 
with believers in kingdom style work. There's a lot of opportunities that we, we got more opportunities right in this, this little room. Count, count that camera, right? With partner up with so many ministries. Right? That somebody got passionate about that they just need you to help and get on board with. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We thank you for this morning. I thank you for Paul's letter, Lord God. God, I thank you for, for what you put in his mind, Lord God, as he was trapped in an area for an extended period of time, Lord God, not allowed to get out. But that gave him time, Lord God, to think about these Philippians, Lord. God, it gave him time to think about a time when nothing went the way he thought it was going to go. And you made something so beautiful out of it that he still remembers 12 years later in the midst of his next adversity. Lord God, allow us to surrender. Give us the courage, Lord God, to surrender to your way instead of our way. God, to to open our eyes and see, Lord God, that if, if you changed everything in Paul's plan and it still worked out greatly for the kingdom, Lord God, give us the understanding to, to realize like you, you can change everything that we thought was a great plan and work it out for your greater plan. Lord, we love you. I thank you, Lord God. God, I pray as Paul prays, Lord, that we will stay the course. God, that we will continue to grow. I pray for that discernment, Lord God, with how we handle things and decisions that need to be made. I pray, Lord God, that we won't be satisfied and complacent with where we're at right now. But we'll continue to strive. Strive for excellence, Lord God. Being perfect because our Heavenly Father is. In your great and holy name, amen.